Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Toppin. Today's episode features Dr. Jacqueline Garcia from the Harvard Medical School and Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts, who will discuss emerging investigational strategies for treating patients with myelofibrosis, with a focus on alternatives to JAK inhibitors. This episode is part of a larger educational program titled Expert Viewpoints in Myelofibrosis, Advancing Treatment Strategies with Next-Generation Therapeutics. Please visit the show notes for this episode for a link to the complete program, including an expert text commentary with downloadable slides. Now let's get started and hear what Dr. Garcia has to say. Myelofibrosis is a blood and bone marrow cancer that is driven by what's called JAK-STAT mediated signaling and inflammation. It is the type of disease where it affects the blood counts, causing various symptoms from fatigue, anemia, sweats, weight loss, um, and failure to thrive. Myelofibrosis is the type of disease where it can impact all of the body. And so we've been really looking forward to treatments that can really modify disease or change the natural history of treatment course. Currently for patients with myelofibrosis, we think about them based on their prognosis or on their uh, scoring. And so we think of patients as lower versus higher risk. And we use laboratory symptoms and bone marrow parameters to determine this. In general, when patients are lower risk, we see them and provide them with supportive care and think about providing some medications such as hydroxyurea, which is an oral medication to help with spleen relief, uh, fatigue benefit, decreasing sweats, and maybe controlling blood counts to reduce blood clot risk. However, as patients progress or present with advanced myelofibrosis or higher risk disease, they tend to be more symptomatic, need better spleen control, and have evidence of more fibrosis or scarring in their bone marrow. Today, uh, in the current 2023 era, we have several JAK inhibitors that fill up the space for first-line therapy for patients with myelofibrosis. The most common agent that many of us use in clinic that is very active is called ruxolitinib, uh, which is a JAK inhibitor. Ruxolitinib was approved in the comfort studies based on spleen volume reduction and improvement in total symptom score. And that was because we didn't have very many options that were active at the time. In the last few years, we've gone on to get approvals for pacritinib for patients with platelets less than 50 with active myelofibrosis, fedratinib, another JAK inhibitor that offers similar disease control, very comparable to ruxolitinib, and can be used either frontline or after ruxolitinib therapy. That needs to be given with B1 vitamins to reduce risk of encephalopathy, which was seen very rarely in early clinical studies. And more recently, momolotinib which was approved to help patients with myelofibrosis and anemia. Early simplified trials, the randomized studies where momolotinib was compared to ruxolitinib, had demonstrated non-inferiority uh, with momolotinib and improvement in anemia in those that got momolotinib and that improvement with anemia correlated with survival. More recent study with momolotinib compared to other drugs that can support and improve anemia, such as danazole, demonstrated that momolotinib was in fact superior to danazole therapy, leading to the most recent FDA approval. We now have at our forefront all these different JAK inhibitors, but there's still a lot of arenas for which we need to improve. None of these drugs are currently providing a cure. Many of them will eventually lose its activity. Some of them are also not well tolerated by patients. 
uh, what is the current treatment uh, platform that's available in the clinical investigation space? Um, I like to think about treatments that are either given in combination with a JAK inhibitor, and that's where it's called an add-on approach in one way to get additive or potentially synergistic activity, and another to resensitize patients to their JAK inhibitor with this add-on approach and to maybe improve uh, spleen reduction, symptom benefit, fibrosis reduction, and also monotherapies that are non-JAK inhibitors. I'll first talk about a few JAK inhibitor combinations that we should look forward to that are currently in mature phase two and now phase three clinical trials. Uh, because data from these studies will emerge over the next uh, couple of years, and they may uh, change some of our treatment paradigms and what we can offer our patients. So one of the uh, combination therapies that I think is very interesting includes uh, the use of bromodomain inhibitors, the drug that has really made it uh, quite far out uh, at this point um, into the phase three setting based on phenomenal phase one, two data is the BET inhibitor or bromodomain inhibitor drug called pelobrisib. And pelobrisib has been tested as monotherapy and in combination um, in trials called the MANIFEST studies. These trials are still ongoing and have demonstrated some really interesting data uh, leading to the phase three study. Why should we think about these? Well, bromodomain or BET proteins are very important for regulating oncoproteins or cancer proteins that are involved in why myelofibrosis happens in the first place. They're unlike ruxolitinib or other small molecule inhibitors because they act as epigenetic readers working to turn on genes that otherwise have remained off. When given as a monotherapy, one of the first clinical signs of activity that was really thrilling to the myelofibrosis community was that we saw a really nice anemia response or improvement in hemoglobin or conversion from transfusion-dependent to transfusion-independent that was appreciated with monotherapy and has also been uh, demonstrated in combination. Currently, the clinical trial is evaluating uh, pelobrisib with ruxolitinib versus ruxolitinib alone in the frontline setting. And we hope to see a similar uh, spleen volume reduction, total symptom score benefit, and importantly for this population, anemia improvement or transfusion independence. Those studies are ongoing. Another compound that has been evaluated as monotherapy and in combination with ruxolitinib is nevitoclax. That is a small molecule inhibitor of BCL2 family proteins, including BCLXL and less so BCL2 and BCLW. Why are these proteins important? Uh, well, they're pro-survival or they keep cancer cells from dying. When given in combination with ruxolitinib, the phase 1B and phase 2 data has been presented and now published, demonstrated spleen volume reduction, improvement in total symptom scores, and impressively in a third of patients, fibrosis reduction. And uh, post hoc analysis did demonstrate that fibrosis reduction or scarring reduction in the bone marrow did correlate with survival benefit. Because of this tolerability of this compound, which is associated with a lowering of platelets, but nothing uh, that could not be managed with dose modifications or dose holds, um, nevidoclax and ruxolitinib with dose modifications, were able to get to steady, safe dosing, allowing for continued treatment long-term and allowing for safety without evidence of any serious bleeding. In combination, this data looked uh, encouraging from safety and efficacy perspective. And so it was tested um, and has been undergoing testing in the phase three setting uh, as frontline and in the relapse refractory setting 
after progression on ruxolitinib. So we look forward to hearing uh, this data as well and remain hopeful that one of these uh, two combination studies uh, will help to add to the current arsenal for patients with active disease, either in the frontline or relapse setting. Some other combination uh, drugs that are ongoing with testing include bomodamostat or an LSD-1 inhibitor. This was previously presented over a year ago in the phase two setting. This drug is an LSD-1 inhibitor. It acts very differently than the JAK inhibitors by targeting histone demethylase. This is a part of the same effect as the other uh, small molecule inhibitors I previously mentioned where it's taking a look at the oncoproteins and self-renewal of progenitor cells. So the mechanism of activity is quite different and potentially can offer treatment um, in early disease cells that might change the disease history of myelofibrosis. Early clinical data has demonstrated some single-edge activity, but currently uh, this drug is being added to ruxolitinib for a combination effect to see if there's a more profound efficacy signal that could be generated. Other drugs that look to be um, very interesting, I think, uh, that we need to keep our eyes on that are in the monotherapy form, meaning as a single agent, um, there are certainly several emerging non-JAK inhibitor drugs. One of them is called Luspatercept. This was presented in the ACE clinical trial and currently under investigation in the independence trials. Luspatercept is a really interesting drug. Um, I use this also in my myelodysplastic syndrome patients. It's also being studied and approved in thalassemia. It is a drug that has been described as a, a way to improve hemoglobin and anemia. It works by preventing some binding at the ligand level, uh, interfering with signaling of the SMAD proteins. And this allows uh, in the blood cells promotion of late stage erythropoiesis or blood making by indirectly binding uh, and preventing interactions within the cell. Luspatercept has been able to, in the MDS setting, and now, as demonstrated in the phase two data presented at ASCO this year, demonstrated some really interesting activity in myelofibrosis. In this phase two data that was presented, it was for patients that had myelofibrosis-related anemia who had been previously or currently on ruxolitinib. And what was really notable is that among patients who were on ruxolitinib therapy that developed anemia dependence prior to going on study, after luspatercept therapy, at least a quarter to 30% of them achieved transfusion dependence. The mean symptom score had shown a reduction by 50%, suggesting improvement in symptoms. And we know that anemia is tied to symptom burden. They were able to appreciate overall 50% reduction in transfusion burden and a mean hemoglobin increase of 1.5, which is really uh, important for our patients who otherwise have myelofibrosis with disease-driven anemia. It is important to know that some of the JAK inhibitors, which I had mentioned before, are very active, also have the consequence of causing anemia. Ruxolitinib and fedratinib, for instance, can do that to 25 to 30% of the patients. It's a treatment-related known side effect. And what Luspatercept is currently offering is the potential of maybe continuing your JAK inhibitor, but in those that have persistent anemia from disease or new anemia that's treatment-related, potentially we can allow them to continue their JAK inhibition, which allows for good disease control. But add on a drug like luspatercept, which is well-tolerated given roughly every three weeks, 
um, as an outpatient, and maybe it could help to reduce the anemia burden. So I thought that was really fantastic. We've seen that anemia is associated not only with symptoms, as I mentioned, but also improvement in anemia is associated with survival benefit for our patients with myelofibrosis. So I thought this data was exciting, and I look forward to the more mature data with the independent study. Another compound that has been really interesting that was studied in myelofibrosis and myelodysplastic syndrome and remains under study is emetalstat. Uh, emetalstat is a drug that is very unique. It binds to telomerase. I like to think of it as the cap at the end of the DNA or the little hat that DNA wears to keep DNA from unwinding. The more unwound DNA is, the more unstable and the more sick a cell becomes. Uh, emetalstat hopes to really target not only myelofibrosis cells, but maybe even malignant or diseased stem and progenitor cells. Getting to the heart of the problem myelofibrosis is truly a stem cell disorder. And because telomerase is really overexpressed, meaning it's more active in disease cells compared to normal cells, it really has a good therapeutic window, meaning that it could be well tolerated. We've seen some really nice data in mild dys dysplastic syndrome with a metal stat that suggests improvement in anemia. We had then appreciated that in myelofibrosis, a different type of myeloid disease, the metal stat in the phase two setting, uh, I believe those trials were called the EMBARC studies, it had demonstrated really great clinical activity with some spleen response rates and symptom improvement as a single agent. This is a really tough arena when our patients are receiving single-agent therapy. For the most part, when our patients need to come off JAK inhibitors due to disease progression or to JAK inhibitor intolerability, it becomes very hard to control their disease. So having single-agent activity is very difficult to achieve, mostly because this is, these are JAK-driven diseases. But if a metastat is targeting early cells, it's really demonstrating to us that monotherapy could be possible. So not everyone will need a combination approach at the time of progression. With this uh, phase two data that demonstrated uh, single-agent activity among patients that had been previously relapsed refractory to frontline myelofibrosis drugs, there was good evidence for safety, tolerability, symptom benefit, and uh, really good survival despite having advanced myelofibrosis at the one and two-year mark. Because of this encouraging uh, data, it's then gone on to become a phase three study um, called IMPACT-MF. And in this study, uh, patients will be randomized to metalstat or best available therapy. And so this is one drug to pay attention to as a single agent for those that relapse or refractory to standard myelofibrosis uh, frontline therapies, which are predominantly JAK inhibitors, because this one uh, looks to be quite interesting and the phase two data was really compelling. Another drug to keep an eye on is Tegrasifusp. This is a drug that's quite unique. It's a CD123 antibody that's conjugated to diphtheria toxin. It's already FDA approved for another blood leukemia called BPDCN, but Tegrasifusp has also been studied as a single agent in myelofibrosis for patients with advanced disease. It's a drug that has been known to be associated with low albumin levels, capillary leak syndrome, where people can get a little bit of edema, shortness of breath, weight gain. And what we were able to see in the Tegrasifus single-agent studies is that there was reduction in spleen, there was also improvement in symptoms, and there was a reasonable side effect profile, suggesting to us that Tegrasifus, which targets CD123 or early stem cells or disease stem cells can have really good activity, not only in leukemias, but also potentially in myelofibrosis. 
more mature data and larger patient populations will be needed to confirm benefit. But the early data was very interesting. And finally, another drug that I think uh, is really interesting, I'm looking forward to seeing data from, um, it's just emerging as a clinical trial. You may recall a couple of years ago at our American Society of Hematology meeting, there was a plenary session where we picked the most compelling state-of-the-art data uh, that was submitted. That's what plenary means, is you pick the most promising data. There was a presentation of a CalR or calreticulin antibody, and they had demonstrated a really phenomenal activity uh, in mouse models of disease that showed selective targeting of mutant calreticulin. So in patients with myelofibrosis, there is a good proportion. The majority have JAK uh, mutations. The remaining patients have MPL or calreticulin mutations. And calreticulin is on the surface um, and so presents itself as a potential target. The CalR antibody that Insight has gone on to develop is a fully humanized IgG1 antibody that selectively binds to mutant calreticulin. And in the preclinical data in the mouse setting, we have not yet seen what it can do in humans yet. It's coming into humans soon. We've seen decrease in levels of mutated calreticulin cells or disease-initiating clones, suggesting direct targeting. These cells in the face of this drug are unable to persist as disease, and we see some normalization of platelet making. And so what we're seeing is in the preclinical setting, there was really nice on-target effect and activity. And so what we're looking forward to now is seeing whether or not this immunoglobulin that targets calreticulin that could only bind to the mutant form and not to the wild type or unmutated form. And I'm looking forward to see whether or not this antibody has activity in patients with myelofibrosis. We know calreticulin, which is less well-studied compared to JAK2 mutated diseases. We know that calreticulin, similarly to JAK2 mutations, is a strong driver of myelofibrosis cell proliferation. And so it represents a wonderful therapeutic target, and we finally have something that's selective for it. But just to note, patients with cal reticulum mutated disease have always been the patient type that could benefit from JAK1-2 inhibitor therapies. But we're seeing for the first time a selective drug just for this population. So I'm looking forward to that data, and this trial is uh, currently being launched across uh, different sites. So in summary, there are many drugs that are being used in combination with JAK inhibitors that look to be very interesting from BCLX cell inhibitors, BET inhibitors, and we're seeing some really interesting monotherapy drugs emerge that have activity, including Luspatercept, E-metalstat, calreticulin antibodies, CD123 diphtheria toxin, drugs like Tegrasifos. So we're in a uh, really great place in myelofibrosis where really interesting clinical trials are emerging, showing really active drugs, safe data, and promising efficacy. We look forward to seeing what these mature trials show and how we could change our uh, frontline and next-line therapy approaches. Thank you very much, Dr. Garcia, and thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full educational program on the Clinical Care Options website, please click on the link in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening.